Totally Football Show. Today, getting excited for the weekend's action. Transfers. Jose Tars are doing three-point turns and that old bus he was using. And buys Alexis. Arsenal, will they take the Mkhitaryan? And Thea later as Walcott moves to Everton. We ask why no one can buy Mike Ashley's tune. There's VAR and the madding crowd. Modest proposals to make it less controversial. Give the managers a call, give viewers a call with premium phone lines and replace the man watching the TV studios with Loro. Plus, continental action. Hang the Dijon. PSG's gluten-free wheat nil Dijon demolition. And why the Parisians still booed Neymar. Plus, the buck stops here. Ronaldinho confirms he's staying retired. All that in the Totally Football Show. Totally Football Show today features Matt Scott. Oh, hello. Sorry. No, that's all right. Michael Cox. Hi, James. And Horny. Hello. When you're getting your own show, ask listeners. Me? Yeah. All right, that's awkward. We'll move on. (laughs) Three big stories. Three big stories since we uh, were last here doing Totally Show. Um, Sean Dyche eats earthworms. That was one. Phil Brown leaving Southend. That's another. And we'll be touching on those very shortly. And also, of course, that Sanchez to Man United business. Matt Scott, InsideWorldFootball.com. Has that happened yet, Sanchez to Man United? Not yet, no. But But Wenger's confirmed it's almost bound to. Okay, is it is it uh, dependent on Mkhitaryan going to the Emirates? So we understand, yeah, um, and that's also very likely to happen. Okay, well, it's a massive deal—the one that they are supposedly offering. Yeah, half a million quid a week. I mean, what a grasping little diva! <laughs> <laughs> that's one perspective. In strictly football terms, Michael, a lot of people asking, how would zonal marking use Alexis in this United eleven? Whose place does he take? I think that's a very good question, actually. I mean, he's he's been playing on the left for Arsenal uh, for the majority of his time there. I think it'd be a great shame, really, if it was, to me, less opportunities for Martial or Rashford to a certain extent, who I think has sometimes done well there. But I can't really see Mourinho using him anywhere else. I don't think he's a classic Mourinho striker. I think he can play number 10. He did that well in Serie A. Again, I can't see Mourinho using him there. So I think it's going to be the left wing slot. Mm. Um, and I must say, I'm not a massive fan of him there. I think he's quite selfish when he plays on the left. He's always looking to come inside and shoot. Personally, I like to see him more centrally. Um, he played there at the start of last season for Arsenal. And his goal return was excellent. And they kind of moved away from that when Giroud came into the team. But I would like to... Well, I don't think he's going to play as a centre forward. But personally, I think that's his best position. I mean, mm. do you see him playing just off... Lukaku or I mean in that case yeah Jesse Lingard's done so well in in December he's really sort of found himself in that role would that mean him being out of the team then maybe I mean I'd be surprised if Mourinho played both him and Lukaku in in the central positions I do think he'll be a left wing role for for Alexis I wonder whether Lukaku's position is is completely uh, secure you know, with Martial having a good season, Rashford, I think, is continuing to progress when he's got opportunities. He's played very well. Um, Lukaku hasn't done well in recent weeks. And I think what Sanchez likes is he likes quick football. He likes to kind of orchestrate one-twos. And I think of all those players, Lukaku's probably the least comfortable playing kind of quick passing football compared to Martial or Rashford, who I think are very good in terms of link-up play. So there's lots of options. There's Latan to consider as well. So, yeah, we'll have to wait and see. I'm really not sure there's an obvious place for... Right. Yeah, well, well, just uh, wait for, for the uh, dressing room unity to split apart well, the that scenes. That was my next question. Mm. To what extent do you think this will... Because Man United is a club, I believe I'm right in saying, that traditionally has been fairly uh, resilient uh, in terms of its dressing room unity, despite the big mm. characters coming in and out. But you yeah. feel this might be... 
Well, I think just from body language and you know, you, you, and from what you hear about individuals and their relationships with him on the training ground, um, it was very, very clear that he and Giroud, he and Ramsey, and you know others in the Arsenal team did not see eye to eye to the extent they didn't even receive the ball when he had it. And you know, if he feels like he dislikes somebody, it seems to me that the team suffers because he, he, when people are in good positions, he won't play it. For all the many issues that we have with Jose Mourinho, is he the kind of manager who would? effectively not allow that kind of thing in his team? <laughs> what, to, to a certain degree, but if you're paying somebody £26 million a year and they are... Is that are, what it is? It's what it is. Uh, and, you're not, and they're not passing the ball. What can you do? You've, mm. you've got to play him. I mean, it's, you know, it's, a, it's a huge... That's what, that's what it's reportedly going to be. Right. Which um, puts Sanchez quite high on the kind of global GDP stakes ahead of... Yeah, a lot of countries. No, literally ahead of a lot of countries. Yeah, but the highest, the, high, well, the highest paid player in the world, alongside Messi and uh, Neymar. Yeah. But this idea that Sanchez is really selfish—it's a relatively recent development. I mean, for the first couple of years at Arsenal, yeah. he was renowned as a player who worked really hard, who was a team player, who was a great individual. I appreciate the last few months has become a little bit ridiculous. He's having a bit of a strop because he doesn't want to be at Arsenal. I but I'm not sure. Months, Eighteen months. He's been ma- like maybe longer. But I'm not. I'm not sure that Udinese back back in the day. He was. Uh, I think seen as a tremendously valuable asset for that team. Well, someone who would play through the pain barrier, which is is something that Mourinho has often used to criticise other players that he's had at United and at Chelsea. Um, you know, Ars and Wenger always used to talk about this red zone and Sanchez would invariably demand to play through it, whatever. So I think that suggests that, at least in terms of keeping himself fit, he's a very good professional. I also think, if, to go back to that Udinese um, uh his past there, I think where that helps is that they used to play a lot on the counter-attack, um, him and Di Natale. He was very good at camp bringing the ball forward. And you look at United in sort of big six games uh, against the other top sides, that's invariably a tactic they use with that kind of low block. They don't try and take the game to their opponent, play high. So I think Sanchez in those big games could give United that little bit extra that maybe they've been been lacking really which is where you want Lingard in there as well because mm. you know of all those players he's probably the quickest Rashford as well but you know if he's going to play on the left then then he needs to be uh, you need somebody with with the legs of, of Lingard in there so it'd be interesting to see where he does fit in but I, I, I don't see why this ever matters anyway you know if you, every top club needs to have two players in every position and you know United the one thing they've really lacked is pace you know there is Lingard but apart from that you know, if Mkhitaryan's not playing and he hasn't been, where is the pace in that United front line? You don't get it from Lukaku particularly. You don't get it from Mata, certainly. You know, they, they need... Mata's the one who's going to miss out, uh, but they need somebody in there who, who's, going to, who's going to be able well, to Mata's run the line. contract's up at the end of this yeah, season, exactly. isn't he? So, at the end of this season? Yeah. yeah. Really? Yeah. yeah. Wow. Uh, Man United, without, I imagine, the services of Sanchez, will be at Burnley uh, this weekend. A Burnley team that's gone six games without... A win. Of course, Man United had that 3-0 victory at Old Trafford on, on Monday over Stoke. Bottom of, not bottom, but uh, relegation zones Stoke. Uh, also blessed with pace and using it to make their way out of the Emirates is Theo Walcott, of course, Matt. Heed my words and take flight, Walcott. Don't you know that it's insane? Uh, eerily prophetic words there from Vampire Weekend in 2008. <laughs> Um, it took only 10 years to come true. Well, that's. Don't you think that's that's even more impressive? Well, yeah. I mean, that's far sighted. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I am somehow really excited by the prospect of Phil Walker on an Everton shirt and in a way that I completely hadn't been for years about him with Arsenal. Do, do, do you know what I mean? 
Yeah, I mean, I, I hope you're right. Um, but he's had a horrific ACL injury, which broke bad. Um, it took 11 months for him to, 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 to even come back. I think it was a year before he started his next game. Um, and he had been doing so tremendously well until that injury, um, scoring freely. Um, but... Yeah, I mean, he's capable of, of of contributing 25 goals a season, at, you know, when fit, when firing. Um, well, and well if, last year, yeah, he got 19 goals in, in 37, which yeah. I mean, it's not earth-shattering, but it's still pretty good for a player who supposedly wasn't producing. Yeah, and with assists as well. I mean, if Cenk Tosin is, is the player that, that they've paid all this money for, um, then you know, he will get a, a fair amount of service if Walcott is the player that he was. But it's such a, it's such a question mark. You know, he's not a leader, you know that much. Um, the reason why he's been bombed out of Arsenal is because of the comments that he made after the, the defeat to, to Crystal Palace, in which he was the captain uh, uh, last season um, when he said, uh, we weren't prepared properly for the game. <laughs> Fenger after that has not played him. You know, he has not started. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've, and it's I've, funny because guess who they're playing this weekend? Yeah, Palace. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah and they've got another tough, tough fixture for Arsenal. I think they'll be all right at the Emirates. But, yeah, this is, this, this, he's, he's somebody that you've got, you've got to, you can't have him with the armband, that, that's for sure. Um, I was really interested that, that it was Wayne Rooney that, that was the one who persuaded him to join because they've never seemed to see eye to eye when no, playing I, that, together I for England. I would never have imagined those two mm. on the phone together. No, exactly. Because um, they are very different characters from very different backgrounds. And that, that seems to have shown, again, when you talk about on, on the field chemistry between those two players, they haven't, they haven't really clicked when they were playing for England. Um, so, however, you know, if they can if they can put egos aside and and uh, and Theo doesn't feel like somebody who's got a particular ego, but no. if if that's true with 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 Rooney, um, then he, you know, I'm sure something will come come of that relationship. Mm. I think they've got three good four players now that they didn't have last season when they only were relying on Lukaku, and and his departure has been obviously. So how does that set up? You have what Theo out wide? Is it Sigurdsson in the middle and then up top? Well, no, hang on. No, I think Sigurdsson's been playing from the left. I think he'll probably continue to drift inside. Walcott the pace from the right, and Rooney is more of a part of a three-man midfield, really, behind mm. um, Tosun playing up front. As a kind of false nine, or would there be an actual striker in no, there? No, with Tosun. Yeah, right. I think in the early nine. stages against Spurs, okay, they then got absolutely floored by them at Wembley. But Tosun did quite good sort of target man play in that he he pinned Davinson Sanchez back for a flick on for Rooney early on in that game. Mm. Then they had that goal disallowed, which again came from his flick on from a corner. So if they can get more of that from him, I'm also quite excited about the idea that they might have Bolassi on one side, mm. Walcott on the other, maybe put Sigurdsson back in the middle rather than Rooney and then, and then have him playing off Tosin. I think that could be quite well, this with Sam tasty. Allardyce on, on the bench. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think, think centre-forwards like playing with Walcott as well. He had a good relationship with Van Persie, he had Definitely. a good relationship with Giroud. And I think because he's so quick, defenders have to defend deep. And if you're someone like Tosin, who's, it looks like a penalty box striker, and that suits him very nicely. And it's interesting as well, if, um, if Walcott goes straight into the team for the game against West Brom, mm. he'll be up against uh, Kieran Gibbs, who I think was his Ooh. best friend at Arsenal. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Oh, also, Walcott, I'm pretty sure, was a boyhood Liverpool fan. Oh, he was, yeah. And uh, used to idolise Steven Gerrard. But then mm-hmm. again, you know, being an Everton fan has never stopped uh, players at Liverpool having <laughs> becoming no, idols there. So. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Everton taking on West Brom, of course, they met a couple of weeks ago and it was nil-nil. Arsenal, meanwhile, as we mentioned, Matt, taking on Palace, and Arsenal had a 3-2 win at Selhurst Park. 
Of Red Defeat for Paris. You know, Azure yeah. Palace are one of the top three or four sides That's in terms of That's their only defeat in the last 12 games. Exactly. Um, uh, and it was hard one. It was a, it was a late goal from Sanchez. Um, mm. he got nobody two, celebrated with him. Oh, that was <laughs> yeah. the game. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. All right, and Ozil's in doubt for this one as well. In general... What's the mood going to be like? Is, is, it, is the atmosphere going to be lifted if Sanchez goes? Or is, is there going to be a general feeling of the life, last lifeboats have left? Uh, I think among Arsenal fans, a lot of them tired, tired of his antics. Um, I Sanchez? Think, yeah, definitely. Uh, and I think, you know, actually. Among the players, though, what do you think it's going to feel yeah, like? Yeah, no, a lot of the players. I mean, a lot of the players wanted him in, definitely, because they felt that he was a great contributor to, to, to the side results. But, uh, you know, some of those that I've already mentioned, the likes of Giroud and, and Ramsey, he just didn't like him as a, as a human being. And, uh, and he was very isolated. So I think it could lift them. And particularly if, you know, if, if these prophecies that Wenger's been saying, and he was. You know, really un- unusually hinting mm. the, about a transfer Ooh. potential with with Aubameyang in his press conference. Yeah, um, so this is um, Sven Mislintop. M- Mislintat. Yeah. Him. Yeah. So who's who's got a big bulging dossier of people he used to have at Borussia Dortmund? I'm glad you said dossier. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, look, he's he, he's he's a guy who uh, as the. Um, uh, I don't speak German, so I can't tell you what it is in in the vernacular. But right. um, but he he was known in Germany as the Diamond Eye. He's the guy who identified um, uh, Lewandowski from from Polish football, right. Kagawa from Japanese football for less than half a million quid. Um, Usman Dembele, you know, gambled with a with an eight figure sum for him when he was a hen, and uh, you know it was a surprise that that, that that he was brought in. And all of those players together, you know, worth in excess of well, two two Borussia Dortmund that they've received in excess of 150 million pounds for for, for those players so in the aggregate. Million euros on a 28 year old who we all know is, you know, everyone. It's not new to anyone that uh, Aubameyang is, you know, an exceptional striker who. You must say it has similar character issues or has shown similar character issues to Alexis Sanchez in, what, the last 18 mm. months, really. He's yeah, been suspended right. a couple of times by the... Yeah. But by uh, Dortmund, but but what he what he brings is 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 pace through the middle, which Arsenal you know can haven't really seen from Lacazette. That was the idea, but they haven't really seen that from him. That dynamism, um, and somebody who can get you a goal a game. Um, and if he is able to reunite him with Mkhitaryan, then that's a heck of a partnership. And mm. I think Arsenal have done rather well. Do you think they'll bring both of those in in January? Yeah, I do. Yeah, do you? Do, yeah, not necessarily in January, but I, th- I think Aubameyang is desperate to get out of Dortmund. Dortmund, you know, Michael Sorg has been fairly clear that he's not really very welcome there anymore they feel that his punctuality has has just been just been so bad his timekeeping that they need to need to freshen up and get rid they're looking at trying to get in uh, Batshuayi by all accounts which is uh, surprising but but what seems clear now is that Arsenal more than anything are kind of trying to save face you know I'm not sure that these players necessarily are the players that they need are you not really I'm not convinced that Bamiyang at that age at this amount of money with the problems James has mentioned is is a the kind of signing Wenger would usually like to make. I think the fact that he's lost his best player means that he's going to splash the cash on someone. I mean, you, like you say, he's usually not that open. He usually doesn't declare an interest in a player until five years afterwards when they've gone on to become world-class. But now he's quite openly saying, yeah, we're going to bring someone in, which I think is a massive change of attitude. From we'll him. also see if Aubameyang fancies Thursday night football, because to be frank, that's the likely scenario well, for next season. Well, if they season. win the Europa League. I mean, yeah. Yeah, and, and there is 
still that that very slim possibility. But actually, I think what what most Arsenal fans will be pleased about is the fact that you mentioned Sven Mislintat and uh, and it will be Raúl Sanjay as well, who who they've acquired from Barcelona. Um, you know, what this does declare to the world is that this is Wenger's this is transfer policy being taken out of Wenger's hands. Yeah. Mm. You know, he would have preferred Martial in in than than Mkhitaryan. Uh, United wouldn't let him go, but but you know he would have been the man. So this is very much Mislintat's work, and I think that that's a very good thing. And if they bring in Johnny Evans as well, right. then it's not a bad window. It's if, just a shame that Xhaka is always still going to be playing for in Arsenal. In the meanwhile, are Arsenal going to beat Palace this weekend, Michael Cox? I think they'll really have problems, actually. It, defend, it depends on the defence. There's a chance that both Koscioni and uh, Monreal could come back. That would be a big boost because they play. will probably play in the wide areas of the defence and they'll be up against Zaha, who I think is one of the on-form or in-form Premier League players. Um, I fancy Palace to get a result. Okay. Do you? Mm. James? Well, they haven't won away to Arsenal since 1994. But, yeah, I agree. I think they're they're in the kind of form that can cause Arsenal problems, particularly when you look at how badly they defended against Bournemouth, how badly they defended against Forest. Okay, that's a, a different side. And Palace, even though they're looking for a striker, seem to have found goals from Bakary Sacco. And so I think I, I can see it wouldn't necessarily be an upset if Palace went there and won, to be honest. Zaha's feet faster than David Blaine's hands. I mean, he is he is spectacular <laughs> with the ball at his feet. But uh, I I uh, I still I still think Arsenal will be okay. All right. After this, we'll catch up on that Sean Dyche earthworm story, and discuss what <laughs> on earth happened or didn't happen at Newcastle this week. Huddersfield travelled to Stoke this Saturday in the glamour tie of the Premier League weekend. The Potters have already let in 50 goals this season and they'll probably let in another couple against the Terriers before Paul Lambert inevitably inspires Saido Berahino to hit a hat-trick in the second half. Well, with two up from Paddy Power, David Wagner's team would still be the winners because you can back any team in the Premier League or the Liga to win and if they go two goals up, Paddy will pay out immediately as a winner even if that team ends up losing. Head to paddypower.com to find out more. T's and C's apply. Win, draw, win singles only. Excludes shop and cashed out bets. 18 plus only. BeGambleAware.org. And when the fun stops, stop. Yeah, is this a wind-up? Danish striker Soren Andersen says probably the reason that Sean Dyche has husky tones is that when they used to train together, he would eat earthworms. He would pick earthworms up from the, from the training ground and say, lovely, and chew them up. Is this a wind-up? I hope not. Uh, I love this because I think uh, you know, some people like to portray uh, Daesh as some kind of prehistoric dolt. And instead, this is him, again, realising something before his time, mm. which is you know, we should all be looking for new sources of protein. Protein. You know, eating, well, worms are insects. But, right. You know, doing this and he was he was doing this years ago sorry That's if you're so talking true. about prehistoric dogs isn't that what prehistoric man did was eating grubs from the ground I don't know I thought it just reinforced the stereotype about, um, <laughs> worms of course is that, is that they have um, their flesh contains their memories no? that if you feed if you let planarian worms go through a maze wow. and then and then you feed those planarian worms to other planarian worms, those ones will automatically know the right route through a maze. Okay. So presumably he will have inherited a lot of knowledge of the undersoil of whichever train. Imagine if he, he, he basically gets someone to go and source these worms that are living yes. in other teams' football pitches. Yeah. yeah, cause he, yeah. Science fiction for some... But the new reality of football for others. Mm. Uh, that's uh, relating to Man United Burnley, which we kind of touched on. It'll happen this weekend. We'll be back to discuss it on Monday. In the meantime, let's discuss what didn't happen at Newcastle. Tuesday, the breaking news that the Amanda Staley Consortium was not going to be buying Newcastle. 
quite the opposite. Mike actually saying there was never really a, a negotiation. They never really had an offer. What's going on, Matt? Oh, who knows? There are so many smoke, so much smoke and mirrors. Um, It is said that she has $29 billion of assets under management. I've always been rather sceptical of that. But she successfully managed bids before, no? The Man City thing she was involved, Hicks Gillette, she was involved in that one as well, wasn't she? Yeah, but that's different. Being a a, a broker, an estate agent, to all intents and purposes, um, versus being a fund manager with... You know, a, a, a massive amount of other people's wealth under your management is a very different thing. I'm not sure that uh, that she does have that kind of resource available, and I think that that's the conclusion that Mike Ashley has probably reached himself. That right. She, that, you know, her PR people are claiming that this bid has gone in, and you know they're mystified as to why he should be saying all of this. But I always am very, very sceptical of anybody who declares who they are before. A bid takes place. You know, let's let's remember that so many proper takeovers have taken place. You know, the one that she was involved with at Manchester City, for instance, came completely out of the blue to everybody. You know, Taxin Sinuatra was in the owner of that football club one day, and then suddenly he wasn't, and uh, the sovereign wealth of Abu Dhabi was behind it. You could say the same with Liverpool, with uh, you know uh, the uh, Fenway Sports Group when they came in, people weren't signposted ahead of the uh, you know long long in advance of that. There was a court case going on, but they came in and took it out. You know, these these things these things happen very very quickly if people are serious and they don't end up talking in the press beforehand and that's what she's done. Well, assuming there's not another group labouring silently in the background, what does this actually mean for Newcastle? Phil Wheatley says our Newcastle are now doomed with actually pulling plug on sale, and is Jez uh, Byes says is Rafa Benitez now favourite for the next decent vacancy anywhere in Europe? Yeah, I mean I think he's he's very much open to those offers in the summer. He's frustrated with what's happening at Newcastle. The squad isn't good enough for the Premier League. I think he's done well to, you know, to have that good start and they're really living off that. So I wouldn't be surprised. Well, I'd be, I'd be amazed if he's there next year unless there is a takeover. It's certainly a, a big blow, you, one would imagine, for the morale in the dressing room, especially with a trip to uh, Manchester City coming up this weekend. Well, I mean, yes, obviously. But I think in terms of team spirit, you know, the, those players were perhaps fearing that they would be out or um, you know, there'd be other players coming in and they'd lose their place to them. It, you know, they might be sure of their places in that, in, in that sense. It might actually, you know, galvanise the team in some way. You know, that's, that's often happened when, you know, clubs have run out of money, um, which isn't happening at, at, uh, at, at Newcastle, but there's a lack of investment there perceived by the, by the manager. But, you know, I don't think it could necessarily be as, as negative. I don't think they'll be complaining that um, they're not going to be, you know, making. Well, uh, Hosselu needs no competition. Yeah, <laughs> what he needs is a goal radar, and he doesn't have one. And I don't think he's going to magic one. Just he scored last weekend, Matt. Oh, yeah, come on. Yeah, but that's the exception to the rule. What's he got? Three, four, five. Uh, four goals. Yeah. Four goals this yeah. season as the number nine for Newcastle. Hardly the uh, natural inheritor of Alan Shearer and uh, <laughs> Malcolm Marshall, is he? No. Mm. Malcolm uh, Marshall. Sorry, he was a cricketer. Malcolm McDonald. <laughs> 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 mm. uh, uh, Magpies last three visits to the Etihad have ended with scorelines of 4-0, 5-0 and 6-1. So uh, the City have had the best of this of late. Aguero got five goals in that 6-1. Five. Um, although they did face each other just the other weekend and it wasn't a million miles away from being a draw. Benitez took an incredibly defensive approach at St James's Park, just parked ten men behind the ball. Only really in the last 20 minutes did they attack. What's happened since is that teams have given City a fright and indeed beaten them by pressing high up the pitch. Palace, to a certain extent, did that. Bristol City caused them a bit of a fright and then Liverpool won. Will Newcastle do the same? I very much suspect not. Yeah, I mean, Benitez has 
there's the, the stat that he's kept the most uh, clean sheets at the Etihad after Sir Alex Ferguson. He's took, Benitez has. Yeah, he's taken yeah teams there on four occasions and come out with a clean sheet. But I would suggest that they were with teams that are slightly better. <laughs> yeah. I, Liverpool and with Chelsea. A good team Dan, playing against a Dan, rubbish Dan, team. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Uh, on the subject of Man City, Matt, I know that you're bursting to tell us something. <laughs> yeah, well, I just I think that this is a very interesting turning point potentially for Manchester City. The fact what, that the they, Liverpool, yeah, thing. yeah, and and the run of results that Michael's been talking about and the performances, you know, squeaking past Palace and uh, and 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 Bristol City of all teams, they do work very very hard. Manchester City, they work really hard. They're very well organised, but they are pressing very very hard, and that's a characteristic of all Pep Guardiola teams. His squads tend to get quite a lot of injuries. Certainly at Bayern Munich, they did. Um, Is 12 points a big enough margin for them? Yeah, without question. But oh. I think that it will be eroded down to, to, to a lot fewer than... you know. They will not win the league by double digits, I don't think. If Certainly if they're getting the injuries that they risk getting. I'm not at all surprised that they are looking for new fresh blood. You know, if those injuries do strike, then, uh, then this could be a, a, a question mark for City. And therefore, for next season, after a World Cup, yeah. you know, if you've got a few, a few uh, injuries this season and they're playing you know, 60 games, as they probably will be, with a World Cup at the end of it, I think it could be very, very interesting next season. What well, happens? Crisis in store for Man City. All right, nice one. Tweet us at The Totally Football Show and find us on Facebook, also at The Totally Football Show. Uh, hotline Jim, what beacons of hope do you see for each of the bottom three at this stage in the season? Oof. That's a tough question, isn't it? So Swansea are bottom, they're hosting Liverpool on Monday. Swansea did beat Wolves in that replay, mm. FA Cup replay midweek. Liverpool, though, 18 without defeat, and they won the reverse fixture 5-0 at Anfield. Uh, West Brom uh, are looking for their third win in a row, and Stoke, who, as we mentioned... Got beaten 3-0 at Old Trafford on Monday, but Paul Lambert was only sitting in the stands. And do we owe Paul Lambert a bit of a kind of revision of... There was a slightly negative hot take to the news of his appointment in Monday's, kind of live in Monday's Totally Football show. Now that we've had a little bit more time, can we offer some appreciation of what he might bring? Well, I very much enjoyed his Norwich team in the Premier League. Um, His Norwich team in the Championship even more. Yes, I can't, can't say I saw much of them, but no, I gather no, they were right. great. But the numbers were great. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, but if you look at the Norwich team, they scored a lot of goals and conceded a lot of goals. Ooh. What Stoke really need is someone to come in and fix the defence. Oh. And I'm not sure that Lambert really is the man to do that. And it's not going to happen anytime soon because at the moment they've got uh, Glenn Johnson, Eric Peters and Ryan Shawcross all out. So if he's trying to assemble his, his best back four in the training ground, it's going to take two or three weeks before he gets the right players in place. Shawcross might be back in apparently for this weekend, Matt. Well, to contextualise Norwich, no. um, he came in when they'd just been beaten 7-1 by Colchester United under uh, Brian Gunn, and that really was you know, the lowest ebb that any team could possibly could possibly hit. Um, and that's you know, after they tumbled out of the Premier League. So he was able to go in and say, right, lads, you, know, you are Premier League footballers. Two, two years ago, you were, you were playing at Old Trafford. Here you are. Look at this ignominy. Look at, the, look at the surroundings, and you've just been gubbed here at Lair Road. So it was something that, that he could... You know, that was a great catalyst for him to... Do you think that the, the, the is there not from, the, the there same context? No they've just, you know, Old Trafford, they've just been beaten 3 0 mm-hmm. at, and he is football's most miserable. Um, there's absolutely, you know, when you listen to, to his interviews at Aston Villa, he, I was talking to Shay Given about him um, this week, and he, he actually said, give him a bit of time because he, he obviously played under him at, at Aston Villa. He said that, you know, he'd had the rug pulled from underneath him. So many good players had gone. 
from uh, that Villa side under his management because they were they were restructuring while trading and it was really hard under Randy Lerner. So that one point a game that he got for Villa is is probably slightly uh, not not entirely representative of, of where what what he's capable of. But at the same time, that Stoke side, if Bet three six five actually do what they should do as the third richest owner in. English football after Abramovich and uh, and and Dubai, uh, sorry uh, Abu, Abu Dhabi. You know they can with three billion pounds of turnover every year. They can invest more money than they ever have done in Stoke. And if they do, they need to bring in the pace that that team simply does not have across the board. And they do have a chance. That's your beacon of hope for Stoke. Don't necessarily write off uh, Paul Lambert, but for me, I. <laughs> I don't like his. I don't like his style as a manager. I mean, you've Randy Lever. What's your biggest hope for West Brom then? Uh, I don't really have one. I think <laughs> uh, I think Alan Pardew is uh, is a big reputation with not a lot behind it. Um, I think that he's he's had better teams than West Brom fail underneath him. And um, Michael, have you got a beacon teams. of hope for the for the baggies? I think Pardew shored up the defence. They were really shambolic. Which they are the probably end. about to lose Johnny Evans now. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Which again is is that beacon of hope is suddenly snuffed out. Snuffed. That could be a problem. But they were surprisingly shambolic defensively towards the end of the Pulis reign. Mm. And I think even when they weren't quite getting results in the early weeks under Pardew, he did he did improve them. I, I'm not sure they've got the attacking quality. Where's the goal scorer? Yeah. Yeah. To be, to, to be perfectly honest with you, it's an obvious thing to say because this is how a league table works. But. I'd put good money on the bottom three being the ones to go down. <laughs> just don't. I just don't think they're very good teams. I, I think. I think. What, we'll, what about Swansea and the the the, the remarkable new manager bounce they're having under Carlos Carvajal? Carvajal. Is that right? Yeah, Carvajal. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Sorry, this is a bit getting to me a little bit. Everybody thinks he's Spanish. He's not. It's Carvajal. Carvajal. Mm. But that sounds Spanish to me. No, Carvajal. Would be uh, would be Carvajal would be Spanish. Okay, but it's uh, yeah. all right. Cal- Cal- anyway, yeah. him Carlos, <laughs> CC, yeah, Swansea, James, keeping quiet over there. Well, no, of these three, the yeah. least I have to say about is Swansea. Really? Well, yeah, because you know, I, I, I think it's um, which one have you got the most to say about? Well, I was, was going to say about Stoke. Go on then. Well, no, I think um, they have got some options. I mean, they can bring back Bojan from loan. They've got a couple of other players that are out who, like Mark Munieso, who's the centre-back, is at Girona, who could they, they, they could also bring back. Apparently, Lambert also had that time, uh, has spent his, a lot of time out uh, going around watching Bundesliga teams train. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, he has his past there, speaks German. Apparently, they're looking at Kostas Staffelidis, the Augsburg centre-back, to come in and basically help help them stiffen up that defence as well. So, yeah, they they seem to have uh, yeah, more options than uh, you know West Brom and Swansea. You look at Southampton at the moment, who yeah, they, look, they they showed some some guile against Watford, getting two 0 up, but then just completely fell apart. So, I mean, they haven't won in ten games. So, and they got Spurs this weekend. So. Jamie Carragher says of uh, of uh, Pellegrini, when I played with him, I knew he would never be a manager. Wow! Um, Did he cite any particular reason for that? Well, just the character, the kind of character just he didn't. was. He said he was a complete in complete disarray all the time. Um, but just, he's had quite a successful career, even if this last bit hasn't been. He's that not special. been a good Southampton manager. By no, stretching imagination. Well, it's not worked out. Uh, we'll discuss Saints perhaps a little bit more later on. We'll also be talking about Chelsea. Original the excitement there on, on Wednesday night. Phil Brown. Another top manager in news and going a little bit continental in a couple of seconds' time. 
Listeners, the January transfer window is open for business. And if you think you can identify better value than Chelsea did when they spent £50 million on a washed-up Fernando Torres back in 2011, then you need to check out the football stock market, Football Index. Football Index is a new way to profit from your football knowledge and make some money. Buy players, build a portfolio, earn dividends and sell at a profit, and a tax-free one at that. Because you listen to the Totally Football Show, you can try Football Index and trade up to £1,000 entirely risk-free. Just head to footballindex.co.uk, enter the promo code TOTALLY, and if you don't love Football Index, you'll get a full refund with their seven-day money-back guarantee. Download the app or play online at footballindex.co.uk and become a football trader today. Terms and conditions apply. You must be over 18. Deposit required. And please, trade responsibly. Listeners, breaking news, putting the end in South End. Phil Brown is out. Ian McIntosh, our shrimper correspondent, five years <laughs> he was there. He was almost as permanent as his tan. What happened? Uh, um, it had been on the cards for a little while. Um, Phil, I, I think, had actually done, had done a decent job there. Um, got them promoted a couple of years ago into the third division. Uh, only just missed out on the playoffs on the last day of last season. But this season hadn't quite felt right. There'd been a little bit of um, discomfort off the pitch. And then form in the last two months has just gone off a cliff. Eight defeats in nine um, and all of a sudden it's gone from can we get back into the playoffs to oh my god we're getting relegated um, so you can understand why the board have made their move and while I don't agree with everything the South End board do they do generally give time to managers and five years is an eternity in the Football League it certainly is it's a results business isn't it it really is who any word yet on who's coming in I think <laughs> I can guess who your your choice would be it's my birthday today and I've had some lovely presents already, but if they announce Chris Powell today, I think that would make it. Wow. That would make it. I've already wow. texted him. I've, I've made it quite clear to him how welcome he'll be made. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the only choice. There C- shouldn't be another option. Can I just say, Mac, a happy birthday? Oh, thank you. Mac, do we share a birthday? <gasps> is it your birthday oh. too? It is. It's oh. Pep Guardiola's. guessing you Peter do. Beardsley's. Peter Beardsley's, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so, tough time. Wow, so it's your birthday as well. Mm-hmm. Listeners, is it your birthday? <laughs> it is. Happy birthday, you. Come on, everybody. Happy, Happy birthday. birthday. All right. And to everyone who's having a birthday this year, you know, whether it's today or another day, super. Uh, let's talk about some other managerial news because it's been a big week for managerial appointments. Nathan Robbins touched on one of the big stories when he asked, who do you think will manage Wales for friendlies? Yep, very good. Yep. Brian Giggs, who's taken over <laughs> Wales. Uh, his former Man United teammate, Phil Neville, taking over the England women's team, despite, as Marina Hyde was pointing out, never having managed nor applied for the job. He has been number two to David Moyes at Man United and Gary Neville's number two at Valencia, which worked out really well for both of them. And a coach, of course, with the reasonably successful England under-21s. Is this just how the FA works, Matt? Or doesn't work. Uh, yeah, I guess so. Look, um, go on. You're going to defend Phil Neville. Yeah, well, look, I think he, he deserves a chance. I think Marina's right to suggest that that perhaps this isn't right. That it does rather diminish the the, the importance of that team. You'd have thought that somebody with a bit more experience might yeah. come in. But then, how do you judge people in the first place? You know, Hope Powell didn't have any 
any experience to speak of when, when managerial experience at all, in fact. No, but she did she at least was... have experience of one part of the job as opposed to Phil, who's, with the, with the greatest respect in the world, he's a nice chap and I wish him all the best, but it is a it, it does smack of cronyism, doesn't it? Yeah, to a degree, yeah. I mean, yes, to I don't, I don't of, disagree with that. Yeah. But, but at the same time, you know, it, it isn't unprecedented. Cause no, but that's... It has happened before. Isn't half the point, though, particularly with regard to the women's football team, that it's... They do want to do things that are unprecedented, given the way that things have been handled in the past. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Yeah. Okay. Simpson was not right for that job, was he? But at least you're guaranteed that you're not going to get inappropriate behaviour or from allegations Phil. of it in the past from Phil Neville. Which uh, yeah, that's is, probably uh, one, fair. One box probably Was it not ticked. the case that the FA's first three choices all turned him down? I, I really like Stoke City. Well, exactly, FA. yeah. Italy. Serious about this weekend, and we did a special golazzo in which, in our attempts to convince you that it's all very relevant, we ended up talking with Gabriele Marcotti about a game from 1999. <laughs> so that was nice. You can listen to that uh, on the Golazzo football podcast. It was very well recommended on Twitter. Lots oh, yeah, no, a lot of people were very kind very about it. And we talk about Inter-Roma, which is coming up Sunday night. Modestly, I would suggest that perhaps the more interesting game this Sunday is the one at the other end of the day's viewing, which is Atalanta-Napoli. Here's a question, actually. Koku fetishist says, in the light of Atalanta-Napoli, what's the next likely destination of Gasparini? I've heard some rumours about the vacancy at the, at the Azuri. Yeah, I think he would be perfect for that job um, because he is someone who has brought through um, a generation of players um, in a league where young players don't often get a chance. And, um, yeah, he's not only kind of you know, found players in their academy, and they have got a good generation coming through, um, but taking players who are still young in their early 20s who were kind of you know, thrown on the scrap heap by bigger clubs uh, like Milan. So in that, in, from that point of view, he's, he's definitely, I think, the outstanding candidate for mm. it. Really. In the meantime, be delighted if he sticks around at Atlanta a while longer because they are one of the, the more enjoyable things to watch in City right now. Yeah, and they're really quite unusual. They play a way that I don't think any other team does in, in Europe. Um, they play 3-4-3. Three, three. Um, yeah, they kind of empty the middle, just play it all out wide. You know, there's this stereotype of Italian teams being sort of very slow, one-paced, and instead Atalanta are very aggressive, um, get in your face. And uh, in some respects, that's quite unusual because I think a lot of teams in Italy just stand off and try and get themselves in a shape. Can that last not... all the way through to April, May? Because that high-energy, high-intensity doesn't tend to last 38 or 50, 55 games for, for Yeah, well, that's, that's the unusual thing with them because teams with a budget like Atalanta's who've got into the Europa League in the last five, six years have all really suffered in the second half, uh, in, 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 in the season when they're in Europe. Mm. Whereas they're right where they are this time last season, in seventh. And um, not only in the round of 32 of the Europa League, but in the semi-finals of the Coppa Italia after beating Napoli, um, what, only 10 days ago? Yeah. So... Well, really the topic for a future Golazzo is maybe whether Atlanta are the, are the, are the modern-day Fodger. Yeah, they beat Napoli home and away last year and obviously Ooh. knocked them out of the cup. Yeah. Took the lead against them in the league earlier this season. Napoli so. top of the league, because just one point ahead of Juve. Juve, I think, are taking on Genoa this weekend. Yes, they are. Ooh, is Daniel Sturridge heading out? This is the Gazette's front page. It says, Inter, Spunta Sturridge. Sturridge pops up. <laughs> is that happening? Look, Inter need another striker, um, to, but it's a striker to back to up. Keep the table warm, the treatment table warm. <laughs> well, this is the thing. They need a, they need someone to basically back up their star striker, Mario Cardi. Now, whether that would suit Daniel Sturridge, who because yeah, Rafinha is the other fellow they're interested in, not equivalent players, yeah, but um, yeah. yeah, yeah. But um, now, look, 
storage I think needs to go and get game time somewhere. Um, I don't think I don't think Inter, who are out of the cup, not in Europe, mm. can necessarily give that to him. Yeah, particularly with yeah, if he has aspirations of you know getting they, to the World Cup squad somehow. Can they give him know. game time? Don't know. Can he give them game time? Don't know. <laughs> no, no even right. less. Okay. Yes. All right then. Hey, France, did you catch Michael in your global viewing midweek yep. thing? Uh, PSG's 8 0 demolition of Dijon. Four goals from Neymar. Did uh, Dimaru got a brace, I think, didn't he? Yep. He nicked yep, one off Neymar. Two. So yep. Neymar could have had five, but then Neymar nicked one off Cavani, <laughs> and the crowd at the Parc des Princes were most displeased, booing him, chanting Cavani, Cavani. I think we've all got Julian Laurent's voice in our heads right now. Yeah. Um, when a penalty came up and Cavani, had he scored, it would have become PSG's all-time record goal scorer. But Neymar took it himself and then there was booing and there's once again talk of how long is he going to stay in Paris, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, blah. I mean, that's what PSG has become. There's, there's no real point in playing these football matches if you're going to win 8-0 against a team who, I think, are lower mid-table. They're not even a, a relegation struggler, really. Mm. So the interest... Uh, ceases to be which team will score more and becomes which player will score more. Yeah, I mean, it was almost more interesting what Neymar did in training. Uh, did oh, you see that piece yeah, of skill? That back heel um, nutmeg thing. Yeah. You might as, just, might as well just watch PSG train yeah. rather than Against watch each other, yeah. yeah. Can I just point out that actually being the all-time record goal scorer of PSG isn't that big a deal. It's not, you know, I mean, that's 40 years of history. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I tell you what, on the, on the subject of uh, skillful Brazilians, oh, yeah. should we mention Ronaldinho who's officially confirmed his retirement? Yeah, I mean, we can do that right now. Let's do that right now. If you're wondering what all the fuss was about, there's a a billion YouTube compilations, or there's an excellent Sid Lowe piece in The Guardian which links to a lot of them. Um, But a lot of people, I think, are going to go, didn't he retire anyway? Yeah, well, he (laughs) he stopped playing about 18 months ago. About four years ago. Um, And and had had genuinely said in in the meantime, I haven't officially retired if anyone wants me, I'm happy to play, but I don't want to do any training, which I think is an attitude <laughs> that we can all sympathise with. <laughs> Legend. Um, Flanmaster P says, where would you rank Ronaldinho among the greatest players of the last 20 years? Similar question from Sam Carney. Where is he in the pantheon of all-time greats? James? Well, I mean, he is one of the most original players that I've ever seen. Um, but it was, what, for a two, two three-year period, really? And uh, the, 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 I think the problem is that even though he's, he's when you watch him, there are certain skills, certain goals that really now until Neymar's come around, you just, you just don't see even from Messi and Ronaldo. The, um, yeah, how Messi and Ronaldo have sustained that form for what, over a decade, again, makes you feel that Ronaldo was, Ronaldinho was a little bit fleeting, really. Well, perhaps because of his off-field lifestyle. Well, yeah. I mean, mm, yeah, well, a few of them do that. Mm. Yeah. But I think the, the Messi-Ronaldo, sorry Matt, I think the Messi-Ronaldo thing has kind of distorted it mm. in terms of if you look at previous Ballon d'Or winners, Kaká's peak was relatively brief. He wasn't a good player after the age of yeah. 27, 28. Michael Owen Michael probably Owen. peaked to about 22, 23. So that kind of was the norm. Yeah. And when he was the best player in the world, I think 2005, 2006, yeah. he was so far ahead of anyone else. I mean, the Ballon d'Or 2005, second and third place were Lampard and Gerrard. Don't get me wrong, great players. But they're not all-time greats. The, the same way uh, Messi and Ronaldo are competing. It was Ronaldinho in a league of his own. If futsal were our sport, not football, then he would be head and shoulders the greatest player of all time. Right. But unfortunately, you need a bit more about you, a bit of energy, a bit of running, a bit of, you know, which he had some of, but certainly didn't have the power that, that, that 
most traditional great footballers do. Never forgiven him, have you, for 2002? Not at all. <laughs> David Seaman, of all people, mugging off David Seaman. How dare he? How dare he? But the fact that... He did all those tricks and those skills while also being the best player in the world. Uh-huh. Just kind of elevates him to a status that I've never seen a player like that before. There's lots of players who get on the old... Uh... Was he better than Ronaldo? Not Chris Ronaldo, but Ronaldo Ronaldo. I would say he just about was, actually. Really? He played, he played deeper and he could influence the game more. And, you know, you remember that performance of the Bernabeu when he basically just ran past the entire team and scored a great goal and got a round of applause from the Real Madrid fans. Yeah. He just dominated games on his own. I think El Diego could have been... The same kind of player had he been on a, the kind of pitches that that Ronaldinho enjoyed. You know, they were verdant plains as opposed to you know rutted war zones as, right. as, as they were in the eighties and seventies. And yeah, without people point. kicking him in the air, I think given more, you know, more lenient uh, approaches from defences, I think that he he could have been yeah. that good as well. God, mm. That would be a night out. Wow. Okay. Um... And you'd be the best looking man in the room. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. A shame that he's not going to be picked up by anybody. What, there was a talk that he was going to join Las Vegas. <laughs> Whatever football club they have there. <laughs> it was going to be has many, him, many times. Him and um, Adriano. Oh. Yeah. Again. Wow. Another great night out. <laughs> That actually, that is quite some Brazil team, wasn't it? Yeah. The, with Ronaldo in it as well. Yeah. The the, the Brazilian Ronaldo. Yeah. That what what a bunch. Have you heard? You probably heard this before. There's a great story about Ronaldinho towards the end of his time at Barcelona, where they're all like everyone's aware that he's basically slacking off completely. And someone I can't remember who it is, a sporting director, is looking for him around the the training ground, and someone says, "Oh, he's he's in the gym." And the sporting director is like, oh, great. And he goes in there and Ronaldinho is asleep on one of the benches, <laughs> which kind of sums up his attitude towards the end. Now, back to PSG, because they uh, have a huge game coming up this weekend against Lyon. Huh? Uh, nine points behind, but they're going to be hosting PSG this weekend, Lyon. They are second. Uh, we were speaking of funky football moves. Did you see Dimitri Pai wrecking <laughs> the uh, Strasbourg goalkeeper, Alexander Ukidja? With a nutmeg that basically wrecked his... Was it his hamstring? Hamstring. Hamstring. Yeah. Yeah. I've never seen that before. Yeah. Uh, Anyway, Marseille have moved into third place and Monaco currently out of the Champions League positions in Ligue 1. Now, uh, a couple of questions here. Adam Gordon, has any of the podders ever been recognised by their voices alone while out at a bar or restaurant? James, I know you get to buttonholed all the time. Yeah, that's true. One of my favourites was I was coming in to do a pod and... uh, Mrs. H, who's an academic, she was on the overground with me. Uh-huh. And there was a guy sat across from us who uh, works in her department, who's sort of always gets the kind of funding for university. And she's never really spoken to him. It's a bit awkward, but she thought that was going to happen because he kept looking over. Um, and then as we so got... she was excited. She thought maybe he's going to give me funding. <laughs> exactly. Does she go by the name of Mrs. Horncastle? No, she's, she's, she's kept her name. But uh, yeah, I got off the train and he came across and said, you know, I love, uh, I love the podcast. Oh, and right. She was Did she get the funding? That's the question. <laughs> no, she didn't get the funding. She didn't get the funding. <laughs> no. Damn. <laughs> More exciting anecdotes like that on the way very shortly on Totally Football Show while we'll be discussing such uh, topics as Brighton's clash with Chelsea this weekend. Uh, ooh, all that Chelsea FA Cup VAR business. Saints Spurs. Chinese horoscopes. It's all coming up. 
Listeners, do you like shaving and looking smooth and clean? Yes! But do you enjoy having to go to the shops for new razors and other shaving supplies? No! Well, Cornerstone gives you everything you need for a great shave and they'll deliver it all right to your door. Cornerstone's super sharp, award-winning blades are engineered in Germany, which is always a good sign, and their range of balms, creams and exfoliators are all environmentally friendly, alcohol-free and suitable for the most sensitive skin. Get £10 off your first order and check out the range for yourself at cornerstone.co.uk slash totally and find out why tens of thousands of men have switched over to Cornerstone. Brighton, Chelsea or St Spurs? Brighton, Chelsea. Brighton, Chelsea, says Michael Cox. Chelsea drew again midweek, but they won on penalties. Yep. Yep. (laughs) And uh, it was a slightly tumultuous match, the one at Stamford Bridge. Uh, People drawing a lot of hot takes about VAR and its <laughs> okay. use. Ian Lave, a great tweet. Okay. Uh, VAR, and he misses the who, uh, what is it good for? Yeah, the, to, <laughs> like to be that. fair, Matt, that's been I like that. explored. No, I, like that. I think James <laughs> might have done that some... Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. It's, <laughs> it's a long time ago now. It's a long time ago. <laughs> oh, some God, people saying it only took about a minute to, to... The Ineatia goal for, for Leicester, mm. which, of course, also featured uh, the intervention of VAR, uh, I think was validated by the referee within about a minute and seven seconds. Some people saying, there you go, there's no disruption. For me, that's quite a long time. Michael Davis, though, says, our VAR fears have been realised. This is regarding the Willian penalty that wasn't given for Chelsea. Penalty should have been given. He gets booked instead. Studio pundits all in agreement that it was a penalty. VAR disagree. Uh, Football's so subjective. No, what? no, no. It's you're a VAR fan. I, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. I think. I think. Look, unless it is an egregiously wrong, yes, and that wasn't, then you do not undermine the on-field referee. But aren't you doing that by using VAR? No, no, no. If he is, if he is egregiously wrong, had he had his leg been three, four inches off the floor and he'd struck him in the shin and he'd gone down, he was clipped and it was, and it happened in the blink of an eye. I don't think that that is an egregiously bad decision. It, you see them given, you see them not given. Therefore, it is but, open to debate. Okay, is the it, question then, if you're still going to be left with this debate, is it worth stopping and disrupting football matches just to end up in more or less the same state that you were even without VAR? Of, I say it's this, you say it's that, let's not undermine the referee. Isn't that where we were before they brought in all these things? No, yeah. I think. Well, I don't think it is because... Yeah, if you look at, um, they've just had a masterclass in Serie A after the first half of the season mm. to go through some of the the sort of most high-profile incidents. And again, what they found is there've been about I think uh, 1,068 decisions taken in the first half of the season, and they've only got I think it was something like six. The, the, I think they've only got uh, 11 mistakes, which is one percent. Um, so yeah, but even with VAR, they still get. Well, the, the thing is, this is again a problem, and I, I think uh, uh, the biggest challenge for VAR anywhere is is the education of uh, the media and fans, um, because as Matt said, he's completely within his rights there to just essentially like a, it's at his discretion. Mm. You know, if it, the, the, at the end of the day, there are grey areas in football which are mostly handballs and mm. contacts like that. And, and anything with more cues in it. If, <laughs> yeah, if he if he sees it, and he he's, he he appears under certain lights to be using the blue rinse. Talk about grey area. <laughs> it's, it's really strange. I, I once tweeted this. That it was, I might have to retweet it because it is a very strange thing. What's going on with Mark Hughes here? Sorry. Yeah. No, but if he sees it and he makes the decision on it, yeah. 
then as as uh, yeah, unless it's a a clear error, mm. then the the video assistant referees all they can do is invite him to review it. Just one thing on the Inacho goal. Oh yeah, it's the second time he's made history. You know, he scored the first VAR goal. He was also the first yeah. fourth substitute. So, yeah. so you're now allowed to use a uh, fourth substitute in extra time. Yes. Right. Red cards in that match for Chelsea, for Pedro and Morata, in both cases diving was involved, uh, or what the referee perceived to be diving, which will, of course, affect them as they take on Brighton at the Amex uh, this weekend. What's happening with this Andy Carroll move? Headline in the Daily Mirror on Wednesday, angry Chelsea fans say they will burn down local library (laughs) if Chelsea moves for West Ham striker Andy Carroll. Wow. Why a library? I don't know. Burning books. Is that what we've come to again? I I don't know. I want to know more about that story. What about Carroll? About that and about the library more than anything. Yeah. I think this will be a difficult game for Chelsea. (laughs) Okay, well done. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely, Michael. Can we go into that? Very much so. Uh, I think it'll be a difficult game. Brighton are really well organised defensively. I think Fabregas could be out injured. The fact that Morata is suspended, I know he's not playing very well. But Conte doesn't have any options. He doesn't like playing Batshuayi, so it means Hazard will probably play higher. So who's going to be creating the chances? You'll probably have a, a midfield four of Kante, Drinkwater, Bakayoko and Willian. It's not the most overwhelmingly creative team I've seen against a Brighton team who sit really, really deep, probably press less than any other Premier League team. I wouldn't be surprised if it's, what, a sixth draw in a row for Chelsea? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a certain nil-nil because Brighton don't score goals either. Yeah. What about Leicester-Watford? Leicester haven't conceded a goal this year. Yeah, which is curious because they've been without Huth, Morgan and uh, and Simpson. Um, so you're sort of in that time, they've they've really had a kind of patched up defence um, you know, with either... Uh, Ben Luan or uh, Maguire partnering Dragovic. So it's yeah, it's counter attack is the best form of defence. You know, if it's the power of pace, if you if you've got a team, and it's why Inacho. Somebody asked, has there ever been a less deserving trailblazer than Inacho? It's why he isn't working at Leicester because he's not he's not got that pace. He's somebody who who needs to be in a team where they're constantly attacking and pressing teams back. He's a fox in the box, but they have such unbelievable pace on the break that every team is very wary and they necessarily have to defend more deep. I was at uh, Stanford Bridge last week for the 0-0 and Leicester were just outstanding genuinely really really good should have been 2-3-0 up by half time they trailed trailed off at the end when they went down to 10 men but they looked really solid and and Mahrez was when he's on it I think he's up there with Hazard as the most exciting player in the Premier League for for me they are the best of the rest outside of the the top top six with initial caps they are for me absolutely the best are Arsenal in the top six uh, yes, thank you. Okay, no, I'm asking. <laughs> these are, no, these are changing times that we're living yeah, in. Only to look at the Premier League table to confirm that. Okay. They're, they're actually, they've got a little cushion, and they were what, four or five points? Or Three, I think it is. Three. No, five, five, five yes. Five. Arsenal's, Arsenal's eight points or nine points off, and uh, Burnley are 13 points right. off the Champions League. Uh, okay, super. Burnley, we mentioned that. They're taking on Man United. West Ham play Bournemouth. Oh, they'll be a bit pooped, probably West Ham. They eventually got past Shrewsbury. Uh, clean sheets in both games for Joe Hart, which is nice. Doesn't and win him back his place. No. OK. Bournemouth, of course, coming off that big win against Arsenal last weekend. 
Uh, and the other game that's happening this weekend in the Premier League is Saints against Spurs. Luke Osborne observes, February 16th is Chinese New Year. Is Harry Kane on course for the most goals scored in a Chinese calendar year? Or does Alan Shearer have that record? <laughs> is this going to be the end of, uh, if not a year, then, 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 then certainly Pellegrino's reign? At St Mary's. Well, I don't know about that situation, but I think that the form Tottenham are in and the fact that they absolutely thrashed Southampton 5-2 uh, less than a month ago. And Southampton mm. were really flattered by that result. Um, they just seem to have the balance in the final third. Son's on great form. Ali's maybe taking more of a backseat role, but still playing well. Ericsson plays well, that assists. I think he's playing really well. I think yeah. Okay, drunk. but he hasn't, he hasn't been the star. The, the, no, star, but... the stars have been Kane and then Son in the last few games. Yeah, but he's, he's missed... Goals for by very slim margins, um, yeah, uh, and some good saves, and and you know, just just past the post. I mean, but he doesn't take as many shots as Harry Kane. I, I genuinely think that Ali is arguably the most underrated uh, forward player. It's quite rated, I think, isn't he? But uh, to the to this season, everybody's been saying, "Oh, he's off the ball. He's not doing." I think statistically, it shows that he is. And you look at his performances. I think he's been playing really, really well. Son has been benefiting because of his pace and his running in behind. Ali's passing is is not quite. As as good as Ericsson's, but not far behind, well, and, first, he's, and he's a great. The first two or three months of the season, he was off the boil. Yeah, but people are still clinging to that narrative. I don't think it's fair now. Are I they? think he's doing really well. I think I'm not sure he's been underrated. I think I'm he's... clinging to that narrative. <laughs> I, I think am. He's, he's playing well. Drift in a sea of information. People have been saying he's playing well, haven't they? I haven't heard any criticism of him in the last couple of months. I've been thinking it, reading it. <laughs> don't know. Thought police. Yeah, I think I think he's a very good player, and I think that this England side is really, really exciting. I can't wait for the World Cup. <laughs> that clip was from two thousand and seven. <laughs> two thousand and seven, there wasn't a World Cup. Well, the Euros, yeah. <laughs> not for another three. Two thousand and five, we didn't go to those years. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, but that's I'm looking really looking forward to 2008 Euros because Steve McLaren's England aren't there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but in 2007 we were still qualifying. That's my point. Ah. Yeah, until that Croatia game. Well, no, that was this, the Croatia yeah, this, qualifier, this, wasn't this it? Was, yeah. yeah, yeah. I was in Moscow and England. Uh, we're, we're knocking it under Steve McLaren, knocking it long to uh, to Michael Owen. It's mm. <laughs> just like for the last twenty five minutes, thinking, "What on earth, Michael? You have, do realise Michael Owen is five foot eight, don't you? Has anybody even let you know this, Steve? Happy Daisy. Oh Happy my. Days. Uh, well, you know what? Um, that's what's happening this weekend. But if you're wondering what kind of odds you can get on any of those matches. You're in luck, because Paddy Power himself is about to discuss just that with Ian McIntosh. Thanks, James. It's time to play Hotshot Jackpot, and I'm here with Paddy Power. Good morning, or good afternoon, or good day. (laughs) Whenever you're listening, that's the joy of podcasts. (laughs) So, Hotshot Jackpot is free to enter. You just download the app, that's free as well, and pick the first goal scorer in six fixtures. And if you're right, you stand to win upwards of 100 grand. I haven't been very right over the course of the season so far, but I've got a feeling about this one. This one looks good. Arsenal against Palace. Arsenal all over the place right now. Palace, Roy Hodgson's form's been incredible. Zaha. Yeah. Uh, Arsenal have to be short price favourites, but probably they wouldn't be the ones to be putting in your football acuity this weekend. So I think Zaha 10 to 1. It's going to be a Palace player. Why not him? All right. Burnley against Manchester United. Burnley tailing off a little bit now. Um, Romelu Lukaku here. 
Yeah, I, I think that's a decent shed. I mean, United were were good when they needed to be good uh, earlier in the week, and um, and Burnley are. Uh, it was always going to happen. They had to go through a kind of a quiet patch, didn't they? Because they probably don't have the strength of squad as some of the other clubs. Lukaku hasn't been banging them in like he was before, but he's sixteen to five, a bit bigger than three to one as a type of team. If he gets a bit of service, uh, yeah, he could certainly knock in one or two. Okay, I think a lot of us forgot that Kalichi Inacho was actually at Leicester, um, but it's Leicester at home against Watford. Can he continue this scoring streak after two against Fleetwood in midweek? I was, yeah, I was going to say, but he reminded us in uh, in no uncertain style the other day. So uh, yeah, he's nine to two. He's one of the favourites to score first, and you got even though it's only against Fleetwood, there was obviously a bit of uh, emotion there with the whole Vardy situation, all that. But uh, but uh, at home to Watford, you'd expect Leicester. This is the sort of match where they could rip Watford apart, and that being the case, there could be a couple of goals in there. And Niacho <laughs> is probably a reasonable shout, to be honest. And uh, last time Manchester City hosted Newcastle. Sergio Aguero got five, so uh, got to go for him on this one. Did he get five? I'd, I'd totally forgotten that. Oh my god! Yeah, Newcastle must be a little bit worried about this weekend because the City backlash. Like God, because like whatever way you look at it, City, the, the match with Liverpool was a brilliant match. Liverpool probably deserved it, but City are gonna they're gonna come back strong. And what a team to play! Like Newcastle, to have Newcastle down at home for City it must be a really, really nice fixture for them to come back in because Newcastle have been defensively frail, shall we say? Uh, and Aguero is eleven to five to score the first one. You can be sure, I'm absolutely guaranteed Aguero is going to score at least one. Will it be the first one? I don't know, but hopefully it will. Yeah, it looks like one-way traffic that game. Is it last chance saloon for Pellegrini at Southampton? They've got Tottenham in town. Um, yeah, I reckon Son Hung Min for this one. Son, yeah, why not? But I mean, yeah, I think the. <laughs> It's hard to say last chance Lou when you're hosting Spurs and Spurs are one of the toughest teams to play against. I mean, when they do tear you apart within 10 minutes, like Kane can score seven goals and maybe Son will score the first one. But uh, yeah, he's five to one. So he's one of the favourites and uh, you got to think it's, it's unlikely to see Spurs not winning handy here. So, uh, so yeah, he's going to get one of them, I'd say. All right. Well, one of the of many eye-popping moments of Liverpool Man City was uh, Oxlade-Chamberlain suddenly bursting through and uh, crashing one home. Um, so him to get one against Swansea. Do you know what? I mean, it's 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 a, he's a sort of player that maybe that's exactly what he needed because he'd just been kind of, I don't know, kind of just uh, motoring along at 50% the whole time. And now suddenly he gets a bit of a hug from Klopp afterwards and all that kind of thing. And suddenly he's like a, he's like a typical kind of uh, young football player with a bit of confidence is all he needs. But uh, Swansea are str- are, will struggle, obviously. They're uh, rock bottom on the table. Uh, he's 15-2 to two anyway, the Ox, to score for Liverpool. Now, it would be absolutely typical of Liverpool to go out this week and get beaten. Uh, after beating City last week, but uh, the odds would suggest they're odds on to win, and Ox at 50 to 2. When his gander's up, why not? You can download the free Hotshot Jackpot app and find these odds and more at paddypower.com. It's 18 plus only, biggambleaware.org, and when the fun stops, stop. That's it then for today's edition of the Totally Football Show. We return on Monday. Hopefully, you'll join us then, listener. For now, it's Thank you so much for coming in, and goodbye, Matt Scott. I thoroughly enjoyed it, thank you. Ah, us as well. James Horncastle. Thank you, James. And Michael Cox. Thank you. Thank you. We'll catch you on Monday. Have a great weekend. The Totally Football Show is a Muddy Knees Media production. For sales and advertising, email sales at muddykneesmedia.com. If you enjoyed the Totally Football Show, maybe you'll enjoy the Totally Football League show too. Give it a listen, let us know what you think, and if you like it, you can subscribe. You'll find it in all the places where you'd usually find this podcast.